0: Hello, Spacers from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt, and on today's show, I'm talking with Micah Godbolt. Micah is a front end architect, trainer, and speaker based out of Portland, Oregon. Micah has a book that has been recently published by O'Reilly Media called Frontend Architecture for Design Systems. In the book, Micah delves into modern workflow for front end developers that includes talking about technologies like task runners, visual regression, Schema-driven design, and much more. In this show, we talk about front architecture and the different paths in front architecture that people take to build modern sites. Some notes as to where I'll be: I'll be hosting the AccessU Summit. AccessU Summit is a one-day, one-track virtual conference about advanced web and mobile accessibility. Learn new accessibility knowledge without leaving the office. Individual and meeting room tickets are available, but register now to grab early bird tickets at accessusummit.com. CSS DevConf is a two-day conference taking place in San Antonio, Texas that tackles CSS and much, much more. Register now to, uh, register now to pick up early bird tickets the, to the conference and maybe pick up a post-conference workshop with Jonathan Snook, Rachel Neighbors on animation or Boss on React.js. Learn more and buy your tickets at cssdevconf.com. Remember, you can always set it and forget it with the Non Breaking Space Show newsletter. When the show's ready, you can have the show links show up directly into your email box by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find show notes and links discussed on the show at nonbreakingspace.tv. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject. That's T E L E J E C T. And thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about the Non-Breaking Space show on iTunes. Now, on with the show.
1: Cool. How are you doing? Good. You know, it was funny when you, uh, <clears throat> when you emailed yesterday, I was like, was I just on your podcast? And yeah. then I look back, like February of last year. February last year? Wow. <laughs> Uh, like that was a long time ago. It's, yeah, uh, been quite think, quite a year. Yeah.
0: So, uh, and things never change on the web. So it's so we should <laughs> we probably shouldn't even talk right now. Actually, we just like let's <laughs> no. replay the episode in February of last year.
1: <laughs> Completely. Yeah. No, it's funny because I thought like I, I realized now that, that we must have talked like right when I was even. I, I think I announced the book. That I was writing the yeah. book. on your show. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that, like, I'd released it, and I was like, was that just, uh, what? No, that was a long time ago. So, yes, time yeah. Ago. No, happy happy to come back on. Um, no problem, yeah. Exciting to see you're, you're kind of back in the swing of it, and uh, yeah. I, need to, I need to get back to listening to more podcasts, apparently.
0: Yeah, well, the, the rage, you know, I just need to, uh, you know, just need a track murder case, you know, <laughs> that doesn't resolve anything whatsoever, and, and then you're and you're very popular with podcasts.
1: Um, yeah, that works.
0: Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, so anyway, so you, write, you wrote the book, you were, you were here last time in February, uh, last February, sorry, uh, the, previous, the previous February, sorry. Just that, um, but uh, yeah, and you were gonna write the book. Uh, we were talking about the great presentation that you gave at CESAS DevCom, while back called Front End Architecture. Yep. And now, now you have the book out, I'm showing it to people who are watching the YouTube channel. But uh, the Front End Architecture for Design Systems and last time we talked to you, we did not have the full title of the book. But uh, I yeah, say, actually, it's, yeah. it's it's
1: been an, a, an interesting twist when yeah. um, <clears throat> when O'Reilly came back to me and and said that they'd like to change the title a little bit. Um, yeah. I was a little I was a little taken back. I was like, but it's front end architecture, like that's what the book is totally about. And really, okay. their their main concern was that front end architecture just wasn't explicit enough about exactly what it was and there might be people might buy it thinking it's something completely different right. um and so they thought uh actually went around and around on a few different um uh title options um and i finally came to this because i had design systems in like the subtitle area um you know a uh, modern blueprint for scalable and sustainable design systems is actually what i had down there okay um moving it up to the title honestly i think it's been I think it was a good choice. Like, I, I think I'm happy with it. And, and partially in the fact that I think design systems have kind of taken on a life of their own. Um, I was actually just thinking about this state. I was like, I probably could have called it design system architecture. Oh, yeah. Because I think front end architecture and building design systems can be very synonymous. Uh, right. There was a, a, a great Medium post recently um, oh, Klig. Is that the Twitter Twitter handle? I, I I'll go back and look. But about um, uh, design system ops, wow. so basically, yeah, uh, the the notion of a developer whose whose role was to facilitate the the building um, and uh, scaffolding and structure of the design system. Wow. Um, and reading it over, I was like, oh, that's that's practically frontend architect as well. So, yeah. <clears throat> I, I think there's uh, maybe we're. Well, no, I mean, I know we're all coming to the same kind of conclusion, the same kind of idea, um, and just slightly different titles and slightly different directions. Um, so, um, yeah, total random random squirrel. Um,
0: yeah, I just, <laughs> that's one thing that we have with our industry. I don't want to ramble on too much, but it's just like the fact that we have all these, we have the same concepts, but the different names and coming to to conclusion on what we should call it is just very hard to, uh, to determine and then, in fact, I was reading um, uh, this chat room. Was uh, just someone was interested in becoming a more of a front end developer and they were looking for help on resume building enhancements. And they were like, and part of the lessons that they was taught was like, yeah, just be very honest with your job, you know, with, with the skill sets that you have because you know, when you you could say you're a webmaster. No, that's a very general term, but like if you say, webmaster—that means a lot of things. And so, be very specific with that. So, it's just I find that our industry is very tough uh, to wade through a lot of the a lot of the. Uh, I'm not gonna say BS, but just just a lot of the uh, vagueness of, of mm-hmm. our vernacular, if you will. So, we uh, certainly have a lot of that. Yeah, vagueness or the vernacular. Kids,
1: write yeah. that, <laughs> write that down, and. Uh, jargon and lingo and... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh,
0: yeah, so um, what are your thoughts, I mean, it's for people who want to write a book, uh, just, I just before we dive into some of the specifics the the wrote, but... Uh, <laughs> stop
1: know, I, I, now. Run I, away.
0: Just yeah. <laughs> That's the honest approach. That's the honest <laughs> answer I was looking for. But uh, I, was, I was wondering what you, uh, we thought of it because, you know, you gave it the presentation, uh, I love it so much. I wanted to talk to you more about it. Uh, I mean, so you write a book about it. And I was like, "How was it writing a book? You know, like, would you do it again? What, what would you learn? What was the positives? What was the, the negatives?"
1: Well, I, I think uh, I actually I just to, to go back and plug the book yet one, one more time. Yeah. Um, I I had a very tender moment when I finished this book. Um, it, I mean, it, it was seriously like what nine months of of work to do this, um, and to get to the, this ending point where like it's done. And of course it wasn't even close to done because there's edits and I ended up writing another chapter and so on and so forth, but getting to the last chapter and writing the last chapter, um, uh, and the last line was, <clears throat> and no matter what you do, um, never under any circumstance, be afraid to write it all down in a book. Um, and I think that still holds true that regardless of what you're doing or of what you're learning, what you're building, um, what you're pioneering, what you're championing, championing, um, never be afraid to write it down in a book uh, because um, there's so much value in getting those thoughts onto paper. There's so much value in going through that process of what, what does it take to get these things that I'm thinking into a, a, this physical form this 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 final like thesis kind of thing Uh, and for me with friend and architecture like for longest time I kept on thinking I need to build something I need to uh, get all these ideas into one place um, one kind of defining place Uh, whether that was a blog article or a github repo or something um, uh, my choice was going ended up being going for a book and, and getting it all down into there and it was a great experience because you end up, you, you end up learning probably like when you go into writing a book, you, you, you really have this base of knowledge that you want to get into the book. And as you write the book, that, that base of knowledge doubles by the time you actually get everything into the book um, because you end up spending so much time thinking everything through and, and having to come up with examples and having to find ways to be able to explain uh, these, these difficult concepts in a way that, that any reader can understand. So, um, yeah, I mean, in general, write, 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 write. I mean, wh- whatever you're doing, whether it's a, a small um, blog article, a long, medium think piece, or you know, a, a full book, um, get those ideas um, into into written form. Uh, it's a huge benefit for for every developer, um, regardless of what you're doing. All right. I mean... I definitely agree with that just because I feel like it, once you write it down,
0: you figure out how to convince others about, you know, not, not the fact that you need, they need to read what you wrote, but just the fact that you thought through the process of how to explain it. And it's like, there's a quote, like, I don't know, I'm not sure what I'm thinking until I write it down stuff. So it's pretty much, so I've always great ideas. But, uh, but, yeah, so, you know, one of the things you write right in the book is about design systems. I just want to get your thoughts on, on, where you were, like, you know, right now, with after I had written the book, with the design systems, and what were your thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, I think design systems are so. There's been a, there's been a movement. There's been a, a shift over the last several years. Um, and it's especially been evident in the, in the Drupal community. I think it's just evident in, in front end community in general that that the front end <clears throat> is and this is what my book is fighting for and front end architecture is fighting for friend is becoming a first class citizen that, uh, the, the front end of a website needs to really needs to be thought out. Um, it, it needs to have architecture behind it. It needs to have resources behind it and planning and, and time and, and the opportunity to build things early. It, it needs to be an important thing in your project. Um, and, and the this, this shift has been happening in that people are starting to finally realize this and starting to put more weight into the front-end. And because of that, we're, we're needing to, to figure out what, what does this mean? Like, if we give resources to the front-end um, team and, and front-end development, what, what is the outcome of that, of that effort? Um, and I think the outcome of that effort is, is a design system, um, is not just better written front-end, but a, a front end that is thought out from beginning to end, um, thought out in a way that it's flexible, that it's powerful, that it's modular, that it's smart, that it's you know backwards compatible and forward-reaching and, and thoroughly thought out piece of software as opposed to, hey, here's a bunch of markup we're going to throw at you. Try and make it look good. Uh, so we've we've finally been able to move to a place where where we're dictating that markup, we're dictating the, the components and the styles and how the pieces fit together. Um, and we're finally at a place where we're, we're given the time and resources and we have the tools and the knowledge to be able to actually build those things out and, and create those design systems. So yeah, I, I think <clears throat> design systems are kind of that, it's the, the final form of, of this evolution um, with front end. And um, we yeah, we need to be thinking yeah, and, and everything that we build is is a system for uh, applying design um to the, the, the content, that the CMS or the you know whatever's providing that, that information.
0: And so it seems like we're uh you know design systems are like what the uh, what David would call uh mini I bootstraps. Mini bootstraps, right? So <laughs> yeah, baby bootstraps. yeah, baby bootstraps. Uh so uh, I like baby uh, bootstraps, let's go with that one. <laughs> baby bootstraps. Baby baby booty straps. Okay. <laughs> let me write that one down <laughs> uh yeah so um and what i liked about your book is that you also have a i think it's an example at the end where you talk about you, know, you go through step by step uh through the process of actually building out the system for you know a design system pretty much so it's just i thought that was great that you actually walk through the steps and um was that intentional?
1: Or was that kind of like added on at the toward the end, or what? Um, was it the, the the Red Hat chapter where, where yep. the yeah the multiple steps? Uh, it was it was kind of a <clears throat> it was a look back as to how in the world did we get here? Because mm-hmm. um, we we started this project. It's 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 been a year and change that we've been working on on this rebuild, um, recreating the design system and then design system really taking on even even um, even a more important role as it kind of developed. Um, and I, I wanted to try and figure out like what was the path from the from the initial um, the initial markup that we wrote like we 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 kind of wrote the initial markup of the system probably like back when I was starting to write the book like back in February or something like that um, and that the markup has even though markup hasn't changed dramatically the system around it and the organization around it and um, the the tools around it and the philosophies around that has. Has changed dramatically over the last year. Still the same like kind of small design system that we built, but the, the things we built on top of it, um, moving towards more a of a, uh, of a component API system, where th- those um, uh, that markup is now encapsulated into templates. And those templates are now interfacing with our CMS, not in a, hey, here's a template, throw it over the wall, try and try and make it work it's a here here's here's the system here's this component this component has an API it has a, an interface to it that that requires a particular set of data to be able to return the proper markup um, and so our CMS now doesn't our CMS doesn't even see markup and this this was the kind of baffling thing for me for the longest time was we created the system we created these templates we created what we thought was you know all, all you need to do is just you know developers just just send them the right data over, and you'll get the right markup back. And the developer response was always like, "Well, we need to see the markup, and and like, where is the markup? I need to see the markup." And it's like, "No, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to worry about the markup." And it, it was it was a very difficult transition to get to a point where uh, where we had the the confidence from the developers um, uh, to basically accept that. Uh, that their responsibility isn't the markup anymore. That their responsibility is just to supply the proper um, data to those templates um, to be able to render that out. And the that confidence came from came from a proper schema, um, and because we we initially said like, hey, here's the five the, the you know the five values to pass into this template to return everything properly, and you know the response is well, we need to see and make sure that. Um, it renders like we want to see the other side. Like, what's the markup supposed to look like? And and they wanted to spend time like you know comparing markup and making sure things worked and all that. Um, and we wanted to get past that. We wanted to say like, here's our system. Here's the API. Send the data in. And we'll be responsible for what comes out of it. Um, and it took us getting to a point where we had a, a schema, an actual like um, a valid schema using JSON to basically specify. This is the data. This is the <clears throat> agreement between the, the template and, and the CMS. If, if the CMS passes this information to the template, we guarantee the markup that comes back is going to be the correct markup. And once we got to that point where we had those schemas, where we were able to test those schemas and test the output with visual regression to to be able to to test those APIs and make sure they work properly, uh, we were finally able to get to that point where the the developers were only concerned now was, okay, how do I get the data that the system needs? And past that, we're going to give uh, the rest of the control back over to the front-end developers to take the system that they're creating and produce the markup that that they want to create from that mark from that uh, from that data, and that was that that kind of that big shift, and, and that was kind of that that evolution. That's where this whole thing started. Was was it started as markup? That like okay, developers, here's the markup. Go develop something. <clears throat> to okay, here's the templates. You know, go go render these templates. To here's an API. Like here is the agreement of um, what data you need to provide to this template. Um, or complex set of templates to actually render this markup back um, uh, back to the system, and that that transition went through tons of phases and and part of me is like, why did it take us so long to get to this final point? But the the reason was because we were basically inventing new things and reinventing and reinventing, and um, the, the the places we're going hadn't really been. Um, Uh, Pioneered yet. Um, I'm sure someone's done it. Um, Actually, I just ran into a Lonely Planet video um, that uh, was 2014. And um, watching it now, actually, I watched it a couple years ago. I watched it like a year ago or so. Didn't quite click. Um, I was like, "Ah, okay, this is interesting, but I'm not quite getting it. I watch it now. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, all right, yeah. Now I completely understand where it is. Uh, I was talking about the their Rizzo style guide system, and they were doing an, uh, an API-based uh, uh, design system um, or API-based components. And now looking back at that, I, I wish I'd paid more attention to it or revisited the video more often because um, they really nailed it. Um, Ian Feather uh, was the, the guy that did the video. Uh, and that we, we basically got to the same conclusion they got to. Uh, but it was it was a great experience getting there. We learned a lot um, through that um, uh, kind of having those challenges. So I'm I'm gonna ask you probably a basic
0: question and just let me you know. So, so if I'm a developer in charge of the API and I need to construct a layout or like how does the layout get get constructed? Then if, if I have if I have to make API calls which one say. Um. The
1: the way that we've been building things at Red Hat and and this is kind of one of the things that differs between what we're doing and um, the design system for Lonely Planet. Um, with theirs, they, they mostly just have component APIs. So individual components have APIs. It's um, kind of like a, uh, there's Ruby-based system, so it's just a little function call they pass data into. And I believe those just kind of go inline into their um, into their views. So as they build out their applications and they have a view, which basically kind of like a template, um, they have um, you know options to, Put a little function call, pass some, you know, pass the data into it that's available on that view, and it renders and gets pulled back. So, um, when they build a page out, I um, think this is conjecture. So, hopefully, I'm not getting it wrong. Um, when they build a page out, they you know, they build out their their layouts, and they might build out some other application stuff around it. But when they want to use that card or that carousel or the modal or whatever the case is, um, instead of having to um, uh, go copy the markup from somewhere. Um, they will just just to put in a small you know Ruby function call of some sort, pass the data into it, and the markup gets rendered and returned back um, to their template. Um, the the difference what we're doing at Red Hat is um, everything's band based, so everything's kind of like content stacked on content stacked on content and down the road. Um, so we realized that we could really we could take a look at each of those bands and figure out instead of having to have people piecemeal things together and build out those things manually, uh, we can really identify most of those bands. Um, we have a band like a, that's called a Logo Wall, and it's really just a bunch of logos with links and like a title and a footer. Um, there's no need for somebody to build that out. Um, that entire band can be encapsulated inside of the API. So um, we, um, we've basically abstracted out a majority of these patterns um, into, um, uh, into a bit of a larger API that you know might take a, a dozen or so different pieces to build out each of those bands so um really it's a just a matter of stacking um an api call on top of an api call on top of an api api call inside of the body of the website um and we're, we're doing this with a, a module inside of drupal but um in any other instance you could do it uh, in, in in any other way that you want but uh, again the 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 design is band-based, so it's pretty much just stacking things on top of each other, um, from you know uh, one design onto the next onto the next, um, and yeah, and so we're not we're not as worried with having to fit things into a layout um, in in the way that we're building things. It's more of a content um, content-based site versus like a you know some kind of application or something like that. Go
0: totally throughout my ignorance out here, but I just like to just. So it would be like a headless CMS pretty much? Is that what's going on? So like you do API calls to get the markup once you have like the content. like, oh, content needs to go
1: here. Let me go get the API and figure out what needs to go here. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, we, um, especially in Drupal, uh, the the whole notion of headless was super exciting just a couple of years ago. Um, uh, With Angular um, coming into the scene and having a a really strong, robust uh, JavaScript framework to be able to turn data into markup, <clears throat> a lot of people got really excited about um, what uh, what Drupal could be like if Drupal was just a content repository. It was just a place to store content and push that content up to the front end layer to be rendered out into markup. And it's that it's that separation. It's a separation of concerns between a backend system providing markup, front end system providing, or sorry, backend system providing data, and the front end system taking that data and doing whatever in the world they want with it, Um, you know, turn it into whatever markup, whatever display, whatever UI that they want to build on that front end, you know, a complete separation between the front end and the back end where you can, you could swap out a front end and just have a completely different look for your website. So super popular, but there are some challenges in, um, in moving the entire UI to the front end Um, authentication um, uh, forms and, and various other issues that, it uh, just made it difficult, uh, not to mention just rendering everything in the, in the front end um, uh, performance-wise and, and the fact that JavaScript wasn't working, you wouldn't have a website, those types of things. So the, the approach that we've taken, um, and similar to Lonely Planet approach, is that it's all server-side. And, and the advantage here is that it doesn't it doesn't take turning the CMS on its head um, to be able to to do this approach, um, the CMS is still um, you know taking markup and sending it out to the user. There's the entire caching system that that you'd use is the exact same caching system. I mean, you can render the page and, and 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 cache that page exactly as you normally would. The difference here is that instead of going through Drup- Drupal's got a very large, very complex rendering system um, that they're, they're trying to trying to figure out what they can do with it to make better right now, but um, what we've decided to do is basically make, uh, to, um, to pull the theming engine, the, th- the rendering engine, off of Drupal um, and use a completely separate rendering engine for that. Still PHP based, we're using Twig, uh, which is actually what uh, the new uh, Drupal 8 is running on, so we like the synergy there. Um, so we've got a completely separate library actually doing all the rendering, which means everything's still server side. Um, when Drupal wants to to render one of these bands, instead of just using their internal rendering engine, they just make a function call to the you know the PHP library, and it returns markup. And then Drupal goes, "Hey, great! I've got the markup. I know what to do now." Um, so we still get that separation. We still get Drupal saying, "You know, I don't care about the markup. I'm just here to get data. I'll make sure the data is correct. I've got a schema that defines what the data is supposed to be." Um and then I'm going to hit that API, I'm gonna get markup back, and then I know what to do now. I can cache it, I can put it through filters, I can, you know, combine it with other uh markup that I've created that the CMS has created and those types of things. So um it, it's a real powerful setup that, that gives us a lot of flexibility and it doesn't require us to completely reinvent the horse or cart or whatever that analogy is. <laughs> wheel. Reinvent the horse,
0: wheel. cart, wheel, like <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just get whenever I bent to a horse.
0: <laughs> awesome yeah. um, So you mentioned earlier about proper schemas and and making sure like how hard it is I would be somewhat difficult to to come up with a proper schema or like the you know for for all your I guess your components. Basically. Uh,
1: actually, schemas are easy enough. they almost write themselves. Yeah. Um, I've got a um, for instance, I've got a Yeoman generator for our our system where, um, and if you're not familiar with Yeoman, it's, it's a great tool for scaffolding, scaffolding out uh, entire projects. Like you can, like, I need a React project. Yo, React project. And it builds out you know, this entire huge project full of files and, and whatnot. Uh, but Yeoman can also be used um, just to create small instances of, of files. Um, and in this case, we're using Yeoman to create individual components. So if I need a new component, I say, you know, yo, give me a new component. Um, and it asks what kind of component, um, and then it also asks, well, what are the what are the fields inside this component? And I say, well, it needs a title, and it needs a headline, and um, you know, it needs a content area, and you know, an image or something like that. Um, and I pass those in. It generates about seven or eight files that are required for each component. And inside those components, there is a JSON schema file, and it has all of our boilerplate stuff as well as. You know, here's the title, it's a string, here is a headline, it's a string. You know, it's, and it scaffolds the entire, entire thing out. It's not smart enough right now to, like, say, well, what type of um, property is this? Is a string or an array or an object? No, I mean, right now it just puts, puts the words in there, so it's easy to kind of go from there. Um, but you could certainly build out something for, for creating schemas that was that, um, that interactive. Where the 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 Yeoman generator would just walk you through every single question: Is this required? Is it not required? And, you know, if it's an, if it's an array, what are the items in the array? Those types of things. So, um, but I guess that aside, whether you do Yeoman or not, um, JSON schemas are pretty easy to write. I mean, especially when you start off as a, with a simple one, just describing the template. Um, but the great thing is that they can get more and more complex and powerful and the things you can do with them even get greater Um, is there it's um, you're able to in in a schema um, specify not just um, single properties but also arrays of properties and objects of properties um, as well as being able to reference other schemas as well so in in a component-based system where um, you have a lot of <clears throat> uh, a lot of components, being able to reference other components, like we have this, this card, which is really just kind of a, a layout container. Um, that can have backgrounds and paddings and, and those kind of things that a normal card would have. Well, you can put stuff into a card. And so by doing, by, by doing that in, in the card schema, we can actually specify, you know, these are the things that can go in a card. These are like the dozens of things that can go into this card and we can actually reference those other schemas so uh, almost just like a templating language, you're able to say like, hey, you can put a CTA in here. And hey, you can put an image and a video and a quote and all these other smaller pieces can go into this. So the, the, the schemas not only allow us to um, uh, to lay out the data required for a single template, but also talk about the relationships between templates. So it, we, we, we were kind of amazed that the more we got into to JSON schemas and um, about how lucky we were to To stumble upon it, to um, to start using that, um, and the value that came from using uh, the standard um, uh, kind of accepted schema um, paradigm, because the um, the value we got from was huge. All of the third party tools, the third party validators, um, uh, just the community in general um, <clears throat> is just been amazing. Um, uh, the value that's brought to the system. Um, we we keep on finding ourselves um kind of just baffled as something just works flawlessly, like the first time. We're like, wow, that was a really good choice to go with JSON schemas and to to stick to the spec. I think that was one of the other things is we kind of we we found places where ah, you know this just isn't working right. Well, what if we just you know, what if we just don't do it the, the JSON schema way and just do it differently, like just do our own kind of thing. Um, and we realized um how lucky we were not to do that—that <laughs> um, that we stuck to it, and um, we we continue to be able to leverage the value of that. Can you, can you,
0: uh, dive in that a little bit deeper? Like, like what type of things? Like, did you run into? Like, I'm
1: trying to remember some of the instances. Um, there, there were there are just some limitations. Um, I mean, it's it's a growing spec. It's on version four right now. Um, I know five is in the works. Um, there's just there's some things we, we couldn't do. Uh, honestly, I don't think I have any really good examples. Um, I wish I remember what they were. Uh, <laughs> it was it was really early in the process. <laughs> but um, yeah, we just we decided um, decided early on to to not just use it as like, hey, here's here's a here's a an example of approach with JSON schemas, but like you no, know, let's use JSON schemas exactly as they're supposed to be used. Let's make sure that whatever we're writing is, is valid JSON schema. Um, JSON schema, is, it's nice because it is flexible enough that you can kind of define your own schema. You can actually, uh, j- the funny thing is a, the JSON schema specification actually has a um, JSON schema that it validates to. So the, the, the schema that you write, is actually valid JSON to another JSON schema. It's really meta and really crazy. Um, But it's flexible enough that it allows you to say, hey, I I want a custom property. Like um, there's there's instances where we would need to, we need to communicate something to Drupal. We need to say, we're building something here that's unique um, or we're building something that Drupal needs to know about and we need to inform Drupal that, hey, this is, like for instance, this is an image. and an image has, um, you know, has a source field and alt field and, and, and whatnot. It's pretty simple. But when it gets into Drupal, we, we don't want just a field for somebody to have to put a URL to an image into. Um, you know, we've got modules in Drupal that help us to you know, find the images we want and use the image and, and provide alt text, and those types of things. When, when this, when this field, set of fields come in, when this object comes in, don't treat it as just a set of fields. Treat it as an image and use a proper widget inside of Drupal to be able to provide the text to that. So um, we were able to go in and say, okay, let's call this um, entity image. And it was just an additional property or additional um, uh, value they're able to add to the schema. Those completely valid JSON. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else unless they implement it, but it's valid JSON. It's not going to trip any, any of the, the JSON validators. Um, uh, we're able able to take that information and pass it on in. So we we kind of I think what it was is we fought against making JSON schemas specifically for the CMS, like to pull the Drupalisms out of Drupal and put them into our schemas. Instead, we we made everything schema e JSON e and and let Drupal be able to figure out what that meant instead of going the other way around. So um, we kept a system that could be used in Drupal, you could take those exact same schemas and pull those into WordPress and hey, whatever WordPress uses for images, now they can implement and say, oh, okay, whenever I see that entity is image, use this widget for ent- for you know choosing an image instead of just a field for that. So um, yeah, it's been a really valuable to stick to that and be able to have something that in, in the end of the process is still 100% valid JSON schema. Cool,
0: awesome. I mean, yeah, like just the, the benefits I'm going that way are just outrageously high. So I'll just stick with that. So, and your book, I just want to go back to your book because yeah, it's what we're going to hear. But, uh, I mean, your book goes beyond you know, design systems. But, I mean, you have, you have a thing about setting up task runners, uh, workflow. I mean, just anything in, you know, any thoughts about the book in general, like, like you felt like awesome in terms of uh, you, you wish you, had, you knew about beforehand?
1: Um, everything. I wish i do all <laughs> <about it. laughs>
0: um Well, that, that way make it more easier. But I mean, there's sometimes I write a book and I just like, uh, and it's, I, li- I like write books because it allows me to explore new things and lots when we learn new things. And so there's a lot of times I find like, wow, I, w- I didn't know that before. And I have the, I guess not the pleasure, but I guess the honor of like writing more about it and, and helping people
1: learn. Yeah. Certainly. Um, like For, for instance, I, um, I've i read a chapter on, on Pattern Lab um, specifically because I want to talk about um, some of the documentation tools that we use um, when creating design systems. And um, to, to be honest, like I'd, I'd spent time looking at Pattern Lab and kind of poking around at it a couple of times. But I've been doing this project for so long um, that I haven't had a chance to do a project with a full on Pattern Lab instance in it. Um, so I had to be honest. I was like, I don't know how this exactly works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and especially I didn't know how, <clears throat> how it worked differently from what we had been building. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of a lot of it was um, we had a, a slightly different approach, uh, more of a, a design or sorry, a, an API based approach um, or data driven approach. Um, and, and I always felt that pattern lab was a little different because it was a little bit more of a template driven approach. And I was, I was trying to figure out what that meant and how, how those things were different. Um, also the commonalities, there's actually a lot of commonalities between the two. Like they both take a set of JSON data and pass it into templates, templates, which then call other templates. So there, there a lot of, of similarities between the two systems, but it was really interesting to dive in and see like, what, how can I distinguish the, the, uh, Pattern Lab versus the systems that that we're building, um, and, uh, and and I'm needing to get my brain around this because I'm going to be talking about it next month. Um, and and the main difference between um, a template driven system and a data driven system um, is uh, with with Pattern Lab, it's always template first. You, you write the templates. Um, you one one template includes another template, which includes another template, which includes that atom way down at the end, um, and then the data. Is basically something you write at the end to basically to 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 plug in those holes, to plug in you know wherever you see a a, you know a field that needs some um, some content, user content. You write you write data to build a plug into there. So it's really you 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 build out a bunch of templates and go, okay, what data do I need? All right, I'm going to do all this data. Okay, here's some data to pass in, and now I can change the data to make it be something different. So it's not really a data first or an API first um, uh, situation. Uh, It's really a bunch of templates that are kind of being combined together to build something. Um, Actually, I had a a great talk um, uh, with both um, uh, Brad Frost and uh, Dave Olson uh, recently about um, kind of some of the differences of of Pattern Lab and the approach that, that we've been taking. I just want to give a Give a chance to, to demo um, the, the schema based approach, and kind of curious, like uh, you know, can would Pattern Lab ever go that direction? Is that something that that they're interested in doing? Um, and one of the really interesting things that came out of it was the notion that the Pattern Lab was was never designed to be something that emulated production. Um, Pattern Lab was a a way to be able to prototype and build out pages in an atomic way. Um, which is to say, you know, small pieces combined with other pieces combined with larger pieces to build full pages. Um, and the approach that we've always take, taken um, is we wanted a design system first, a design system that, that emulated production, and we kind of started building a Pattern Lab on top of that. So <clears throat> it's been kind of this interesting process of us turning our design system and building our own Pattern Lab on top of it, and then watching Pattern Lab trying to get closer and closer to being a production-ready tool um, and, um, you know, seeing if there's a convergence between the two. And I think they'll they continue to be separate tools. I mean, the, the goal of Pattern Lab has always been to be able to scaffold out pages, to be able to build things really fast, to prototype, to, to make things um, uh, easily. Um, and that's to say there's a lot of conventions in Pattern Lab that, um, that, that take a lot of the work out of it, to, to be able to say, I just want, you know, add in this thing, and things are automatically built out for you. And that's always been the goal of it, is to make it easy to build things out, to take away um, convention over configuration, I believe. is uh, Yes, I believe that's the way that they said it. Um, whereas an API approach is lots of, of configuration and not many conventions. Um, so if you want something to be associated or connected together, it's something that you have to explicitly write out. And that's, you know, that's what you need for a system, a system that's going to be a production system. Um, you need to be able to expect, you know, when I do this, this is going to happen. So yeah, getting back to the original original point, um, uh, writing, um, writing about some of these topics, um, needing to have a chapter in there explaining how this thing worked and diving through, you know, kind of the mechanics of it was a great challenge because it gave me the opportunity to say, like, I need to sit down and figure this thing out. I need to... Um, I need to learn um, enough that I can explain it to everybody. You know, I might have an inkling, a feeling of, of my own, but until I get in there and write an entire chapter on this thing, a chapter that I'm willing to publish and have people read, um, you know, I, I need to get in there and learn figure it out. Right. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's kind of two different approaches. Like I'd see like
0: a uh, designer focused, you know, individual and front end would gravitate towards Pattern Lab because they can visually see it and they need to get, buy-in from their clients about you know responsible design and, and the layouts that they need to tackle where i feel like you know maybe with with your background and the problem that you're trying to tackling you're there day to day to in in the and trying to develop it from that, that point up so it just feels like you're both getting there but just in, you know different directions and so that's, yeah
1: one of the things we we had uh, the benefit of is um our design was already done so we already had, um, like the site had already launched and we had tons of content already out there. So it, was, um, you know, it wasn't a, a matter of trying to build something that someone would sign off on. They've already signed off, you know, the site's launched. We were just trying to figure out, is there a better way to build these bands out? Is there a better way to take this, this visual language that the designers had created and turn that into a system for being able to you know create more things inside of that visual language. Um, so we yeah, we didn't have to worry about getting getting that buy-in. We just had to figure out, you know, how can we how can we best create something that's going to allow us to make new things, to be able to like take that same design language but but speak it in a in a different way or, or create new content from it. Um, and that's actually the uh, hopefully a decent segue unless you had uh, something else in mind um, <laughs> no. um, of talking about design languages um, and and the the role that they play inside of a design system um, because a design system is is very much code I mean it's very much a um, you know we're, we're trying to you know codify how to use a visual language that that ourselves or someone else has created. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, a design system really doesn't make decisions on, like, colors and, and typography and those types of things. Like, that's all typically been established inside of a visual language. Um, so, this next month, I'm going to be speaking at uh, DrupalCon out in New Orleans um, about, about design systems. Um, and I've been spending the last last couple of weeks um, going through a, um, uh, you know, building my outline um, out of what I want to talk about um and and I know I wanted to at least approach the topic of design systems and and or sorry of of visual language um and so I, I started a couple you know a couple bullet points of that and then below it had some bullet points of design systems um and then over the last week or so um the section on visual language has started to grow and to grow and to grow um into where I, I hope I can get this to 50-50 where there's there's, I need to get more uh, design system stuff into it um, because I, I think there's a lot of power in, in, in understanding. It's helpful in building design systems to understand what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and what we are trying to accomplish with a design system is, <clears throat> a, a design system is the study of, of a visual language. So really the, the end goal of a design system is to, to, to see a visual language um, or to, to take a visual language and to study it, to break it down into its smallest pieces, to, to break it down into the core essence of what that visual language is, uh, which is combination of fonts and, and line heights and font sizes and colors and um, uh, even paddings and margins and, and, and spacing and rhythm um, and how, how those, all those pieces interact and, and play together. Um, and then also how those pieces are combined to make larger pieces, to make kind of to words, to, to make kind of ideas. Like how do you put um, uh, those paddings and, and colors and fonts and, and margins into making a form element? Like how, how does that form together to, to make that that more complex thing? Um, and then past that, how is that language, um, uh, what's the syntax of that, of that language? How do things get put together into larger um, organisms or templates or whatever you want to call them um, how do you make a you know a, a hero section of of a page using that visual language um, and as we as we break that visual language down um, into those those pieces mm-hmm. and those steps um, we can then start putting a system to that um, and the 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 research I've been doing over the last couple of weeks has, has kind of led me to to realize that the same study that we, put towards uh, verbal languages uh, or written languages um, um, is very akin to what we need to do with uh, with visual languages. Um, uh, so l- the linguistic study of a verbal language is very eerily similar to the the study of a visual language which results in a design system. So it's this, it's this really uh, kind of it's a really fun combination. Getting to look at how, how do we tear design systems, how do we tear visual languages down, how do we understand them better, and then how can we make a system that allows us to um, allows us to communicate what the what the visual language is trying to say. Um, so, like with the English language, we've got all these words, we've got you know tons of of and adjectives and adverbs and and all of these words that have meaning. But until and we can speak them, like you know, we we know how to to verbally make the sounds to make the the words. Um, but understanding how words get put together and and the syntaxes and the grammar of it and the structure and the fact that you need a noun and a, and a verb to make a sentence and what is a sentence structure, yeah, all the study that you can put into a, a a spoken language or a verbal language um, is is really um, akin to what, what we're trying to do with the design system of how do things get put together? What are the rules? What are the assets? Um, you know, what's the syntax of this language and, and how can we, how can we speak things? Um, cause the, the point of a verbal language is to communicate. We're, we're doing that right now. We're, we're using these words to try and convey ideas, um, from one person to another, or hopefully lots of people. Um, And so with a visual language, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to convey ideas. We're trying to convey, hey, you can trust me because look at this website. This website conveys trust or this website conveys fun or this website conveys confidence or whatever that is that you're trying to convey with that visual language, that's communication. Um, And there's also communication of, hey, click here or go to this and then go here and fill up this form, like there, there's a path that you're trying to lead people down or, you know, here is a, a display of our products and here's the, the range of things that you can purchase. Like, you know, look at this one first, you know, the whole, um, uh, cost, um, uh, cost benefit, of, um, uh, display. I've lost what that's called. Um, you know, that that's the whole point of that, where you've got like, you know your, your, your cheap one your medium one your expensive one your crazy expensive one but hey the medium one's the best value like that's communicating to the user information and that's doing it through a visual language so the the point of a design system is uh, to recognize that the 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 um, that the 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 verbal language that you have the um uh, sorry the, the The design language that you have is there to speak things. It wants to communicate to the users. Um, The design system is is there to try and figure out, okay, what do we need to communicate and how can we communicate it? Um, And let's create a system that allows us to communicate anything we need to say. So if we need to be able to put this sentence together to express an idea or a thought, let's make sure we have a system to do that. And, and really the, the point of the design system is to make sure that anything that the visual language wants to communicate, we have a way to communicate it. And as you build up those ways to communicate, you eventually build up a system that is able to speak anything that, that visual language wants to say. Um, and it's a it's a really neat relationship between those two things. And it's been fun to explore it. And even now I'm trying to speak it. I'm, I'm kind of exploring it, um, there's just, there's a lot of fun there. I'm looking forward to this talk. Um, hopefully I'll have a chance to, to go through it several more times in my head and yeah. um, and have a, a good set of slides that makes this all make sense. Okay, that's good. Uh,
0: yeah, well, I do probably like, I mentioned that uh, Scott McCloud's uh, book, Understanding Comics, because like you talk about the difference between studying words and, and I guess design. Uh, there's actually, uh, Scott McCloud has a, uh, he's a comic book creator, great speaker if you ever have a chance to see him scott mccloud uh i think it's actually scott mccloud on twitter too but um but he's got this phenomenal book he's written in 1993 i think called understanding comics and back in the day i probably mentioned this a million times in my podcast and past episodes but because uh, i love I the book uh is that uh, i think on um uh, he's got this great great graphic at, at the beginning of the book where he talks about uh words uh and the reality so like you move from he talks about like, we have words to, to describe objects, but then we have words, but words themselves are actually object, or like are actually uh, visual elements put together to form, you know, meaning, abstract meaning. And then somebody, you, you go to like the left, is a nice pi- nice uh, pyramid graphic where it goes from words to like a simple icon of a, of a face, to like cartoon faces that you see in a comic strip, to, more stylized that you would see in a comic book pretty much and then you go further and further down to like photorealistic and so you get, it's a really nice breakdown almost like an atomic uh structure level in terms of, of you you have the atomic level of just these abstract markings which you know like letter a was actually like i, I believe it's like a used to be the um marking for an ox before it became a letter a and then and so so our our rich you know language is is based off of icons and imagery so it's it's pretty nice i really look forward to uh to the talk and sort too so see what you come up with that so i'm <laughs> really really enthused about that that concept so
1: yeah it's kind of me like re- regardless of the language that that you look at whether it's um verbal whether it's side language whether it's like a computer language um you know all language can be broken down um into smaller pieces of so visual language um and uh, studying each of those is there's a lot of depth there's there's a lot of opportunities to get in there and, and learn a lot more about what you're doing <clears throat> by learning how how the things break down. Um and I think the amazing thing is um that you know Brad Frost came along and and and, and pioneered champions probably champions better word um the idea of atomic design um you know and the thing is like you know there's really nothing new under the sun. Um yeah. you know, that's it was by by no means was revolutionary thing. It just it's the realization that um, uh, that visual language is a language, and like any language, can be broken down. Um, and you know we've been do, we've been breaking languages down and studying them for for quite a long time. So um, just recognizing that this is yet another language, and it can be broken down into smaller pieces as well. And by studying it um, uh, more comprehensively, we're, we're able to understand it better, and then make better systems. Um, and make better you know, explanations and, and uh, rules and, and syntax around uh, those languages. Um, so study, make better things, make awesome okay. design systems.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cool. So you're working on that? Anything, uh, that's a good point but uh, for, the, for the show, is there anything else you're passionate about right now? Or you're trying to, it just sounds like you're not, it sounds like you're like busy trying to do the presentation. <laughs> to, so.
1: Yeah, mostly that. Um, I mean, really, everything in this book. I mean, the, the great thing about about writing this book is I got to break everything up into yeah. into four different sections. There's four pillars, um, so it, it's it's kind of fun because I get a chance to kind of dive into each of the pillars and um, like the the last um, last talk I gave at um, what was it the RWD yeah the RWD summit. Mm-hmm. That's what it was called, right? A couple yeah. weeks ago, um, was all about testing. So diving in, kind of diving back into my testing chapter and, and flexing some of those muscles again, um, uh, going back into processes and, and getting back into grunt and gulp. And, um, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of great. Those, these, these pillars of just unending things to, to learn about and explore and to, um, uh, to, to try out new things. So, um, yeah, if you get chance to read the book, um, I'd, I'd love to hear feedback. I'd love to hear how people are able to um, uh, to get inspired by this. Um, I've, I, writing a book, is one of the difficult things about it is it's out there and people now read it and will respond on it. Um, the first two reviews that I got for this book were like yeah. super negative. And <laughs> I tell you that hurts, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, and the reason that the, actually the, the reviews came back negative is I think they were expecting a very technical book. Like, here's how you do XYZ. Like yeah. here's the steps for this. Here's the steps for that. Like when you finish this book, you'll be able to go and build anything. Right. And um, you know, the, the book is not that. Like the book is is partly my journey over the last year, at, um, the year or two at Red Hat. Right. And this thing that we've built. Um, it's a, and it's also a call to arms. It's a get people excited about these things. Get people excited about um, front end, about design systems, about you know making our front end code matter, um, and exploring what are the different ways that you can add value and add quality to the front end code. Um, and you know that's a takeaway message. Not hey, I learned how to do you know a whole bunch of stuff from this book. It's like no, get, be inspired. Go go. Uh, you know be. More understanding of the tools that are out there, and then the next steps that you want to take. Like maybe you're super interested in processes, and you want to you know figure out your workflow for your team. Maybe you right. want to figure out testing. Maybe you want to figure out you know better code structure and code quality tools. Um, you know those are the things I want to inspire, and, and hopefully the book will give you some ideas as to how we did it. Um, you know to get you moving, as well as other tools and and just explanations and ways that you can ways that you can sell. Um, that to the rest of your team.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a section called uh, "Who This Book Is For" right here, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So, so you write that, and then people buy the book; they just don't read that part <laughs> at all. And so they go through the book; they go, like, oh, "This book is not for me." And yeah, you're right. It's them. not for you. <laughs> yeah, you could avoid <laughs> the whole scenario if you just read this part right here. Yeah, I had I brought the uh, um, negative reviews, man, like from people who just I got a negative review for the Caesar's Cookbook. Which is this this behemoth book? It's like eight hundred pages long, and uh, the negative uh, feedback, was one of them, was uh, um, this is before we had like um, Smacks or you know or um, object-oriented CSS or whatnot. So one of the reviews like, that stings back. I don't. Mean, I'm trying to like get some sympathy for it for me Michael, now that you've written <laughs> the book. Is that uh, you know, plenty? Don't worry. Like I wonder. Or, so I wrote a chapter about you really need to write semantic HTML in order to associate the CSS to your HTML. So here are some tips, some general HTML tips. This is chapter one of how to write good HTML, right? That was just, you no, know, just basic stuff, right? In now in today's parlance, if you will, it'd be like, uh, this is the CSS you write in the content portion of your CMS. Like, this is something that you don't get mixed up, right? So you keep it strep- separate, which is what Chris you know, Corrier wrote uh, recently. But uh, I had someone's like, why is there an HTML in my CSS book? <laughs>
1: I was what star?
0: Like what star? I go like oh, what? Like, like you no, know, CSS doesn't operate in a vacuum, you know that? Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Like yeah, you're right. writing selectors that are supposed to attach to yeah. markup. It's crazy. I mean, I felt so good. Man. I hadn't
0: been holding that back for like six years, <laughs> Just to be able to, to tell you that story and you know, that would mean something. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the book is Front End Architecture for Design Systems: A Modern Blueprint for Scalable and Sustainable Websites. Published by O'Reilly, and if you want to know, it is the animal on the front is a pink-headed warbler. <laughs> so
1: definitely, I was you know. I was pretty pretty happy when, when people are like, you hey, know, so what what animal are you getting? I was like, well, I'm from the Portland area, so of course they they put a bird on it. Put a bird, <laughs> wow, put a bird on it. And that's, yeah, there
0: you yeah. go. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely look for the pink bird book. Right, and it's, and, the, and
1: there's the eyeball on the uh, on the spine of it. I got a kick out of that.
0: Oh yeah, it's, it's watching you, man. Yeah. So yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got like a dozen of them back of my show. <laughs> so like the, there's this like row of eyeballs behind me. It's like the Pink Floyd album where they put the LED light in the uh, in the CD <laughs> back
0: when we had CDs, you know, just put like blink blink. You know? <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, I'm old. Okay, so hey, cool, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here again, and congratulations on the book. It's, it's a wonderful book. Thank you. And I hope to
1: talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. But how can people find you on the internet? Oh, they can probably do that. You can definitely um, catch me on Twitter. Uh, It's just Micah Godbolt, um, kind of a sound, M-I-C-A-H-G-O-D-B-O-L-T. That's probably the best place to find me. And from there, you can link off to my profile with all the other crazy stuff I do. Also write at um, micah.codes.com. I need to do more writing there and to um, focus on trying to get some talks done. Um, but definitely check that out. Also, um, I do a podcast called Bites. Bytes. Uh, check that out at Sass Bytes on Twitter. Um, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to be relaunching um, probably after this next talk um, with a bit of a rebranding. But if you follow it um, on that Twitter account, I'm just going to change that Twitter account with a new rebranding and you'll still be able to follow me. But That's so, on, that's uh, that's on YouTube as well, right? Yeah, it's on YouTube. I, uh, though I need to figure out what to do with that because I've got YouTube slash Sassbytes and I can't change that. You can't change the URL of it. So yeah. do I abandon that account and the subscribers uh, or do I just stick with an old URL? Yeah. Uh, naming things is hard. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I would... Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I would just, just stick with YouTube. I think YouTube is way the future. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place for it, for sure. Yeah, that's what I was... I anyway... Cool. Well, thank you so much for having us, uh, for, for being here, sorry, and I'll oh, try that one more time. Thank you for being here.
1: Well, thanks and, for having me.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll see you, uh, see you soon on the show.